And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now. I'm Jake Novak here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And of course, I want to start this edition by talking about the big news of the last week, which is the peace agreement made between the United Arab Emirates and Israel. Um, there are a lot of different angles to hit on this agreement, and I just want to get to the big points because and this is a theme you hear on Novak now all the time because the mainstream news media, most of the news media has been papering over this story, hasn't been covering it. Um, the most obvious reason being that President Trump had a big role and his administration played a big role in negotiating this treaty uh, that's going to be signed or this agreement that's already been made. Um, that's the biggest reason. Anything that shows President Trump or his administration to be competent or successful in anything is just simply not going to get much coverage in the mainstream news media. Um, I think we've all come to ex- expect that. Whether we accept it or not uh, is a different story. But we have to accept that uh, just so that we know, uh, yeah, expect it, I should say, we, just, because we, just so that we know what to, not to be too disappointed and not to be too excited and, and then only to be let down. Um, this administration, like all administrations, has had its successes. It's had its failures. It's had its successes. I think it's had some incredible successes that have not been broadcast properly to the American people and to the world. And uh, that's because of, of many different reasons, not the least of which a, a bias against President Trump. But it, it's particularly galling when this happens because regardless of your feelings about President Trump and that administration, this is something that the American people and people who follow this part of the world or want to follow, I should say, this part of the world being the Middle East, really deserve to know more about. And, um, and it's too bad that they're not going to get that in the mainstream news media. Not because the mainstream news media are, is, has the best analysts and has the best people to tell the story, but at least they could find out more about it and then on their own learn, uh, get, get, tap the sources that they trust. I think the biggest thing to say about this, and it's almost unfortunate that we have to say it because there are people who are not saying it, but this is a good thing. This is a good thing, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to address some of the objections some people have who are supportive of Israel. I know there are some people who are supportive of Israel. They aren't being just kind of crazy anti-Trumpers or anti-Israel folks who are, have misgivings or don't like this story. I, I think there's very few of them, but, and I do, I do want to touch on some of their objections because some of their objections, are, I should say questions, are not, uh, not completely unfounded, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But this is a good news story. Um, it's a good news story because, for one, it confirms what we've known for a number of years, which is that the United Arab Emirates and some of the other Gulf states that are loyal to Saudi Arabia, or I I would even call them client states of Saudi Arabia, for lack of a better word, we know that they've been cooperating with Israel for, I would say, about the last six, six years. And that includes, of course, Saudi Arabia being the biggest country involved in that. So this confirms that it brings it more out into the open. And for those of you who don't know a lot about Arab culture, it's impor- what's done publicly is very important when it comes to agreements, when it comes to things like handshakes. It's not just a photo op when Arab leaders do this when they, or when Arab leaders are received in a, in, in a, in a, in a place of government, like a, a White House or a, or, a, or a Capitol building, something like that. It's a big deal. 
it's a big deal. So for those who are saying, and I think this is mostly coming from people who are not supportive of Israel and people who are not supportive of the Trump administration, there were a few people who were saying, and this part of it was factual, they were saying, well, Israel and United Arab Emirates have been cooperating kind of behind the scenes for a few years now. What's the big deal? Now, that first part is true, that they've been cooperating, and that is true. What isn't true is the what's the big deal part of that statement. People like Ben Rhodes were saying that, and that part isn't true. Because when Arab leaders in Arab countries come out publicly and say something that they're also doing privately, now remember, you have to have that second aspect, because we've seen... Arab leaders with that kind of double talk before where they they do something publicly or say something publicly, but they don't walk the walk in private or in reality. When we have both of those things, though, when they're walking the walk and now, as we're seeing from the UAE, a talking the talk, that is a big deal. And if Ben Rhodes were properly educated on Arab culture and properly educated on Middle East history, which I don't believe he is, he may not have said, he may not have poured cold water on the deal. It's possible he still would anyway, because a lot of these people are dishonest and intellectually dishonest. But as I've learned in in my 25 years of journalism and many years even before that, when people say things that are wrong, it's usually because they don't know what's right. Not necessarily they know what's right and they're not telling the truth. Um, Ben Rhodes doesn't strike me as someone who really knows the truth and was really educated to the truth. I think he's someone who doesn't know the truth. Um, this doesn't excuse him. He should have learned more about this before he opens his mouth or taking or took a position of leadership in the Middle East, which he inexplicably had in the Obama administration. But he's wrong on this. Uh, it is a big deal when an Arab country says something and makes a, 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 an overt deal only when, but especially when they also follow through with these things behind the scenes. Both of those things are necessary from Arab countries and Arab leaders. And I say that with Yasser Arafat being the biggest example of someone who didn't do that. You know, in his, in his last years, or I should say the years after the Oslo Accords, for the most part, he would get lovey-dovey with uh, Israeli leaders, especially Shimon Peres. Many of you may remember the video of him walking around holding hand in hand with him, and then, of course, shaking Yitzhak Rabin's hand when the Oslo Accords were signed with Bill Clinton in 1993. He was showing so much love and so and, and saying things in English like "We want peace," and then he would say. But then we learned that he was saying in Arabic to his own people quite quite different things, and we know he was doing quite different things in, in, after two thousand, when for the sin of walking on the Temple Mount that Ariel Sharon did, which is no big deal, of course, but Yasser Arafat used that as an excuse to reject peace and reject decency for his own people and start uh, a, a new phase in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, which was completely unnecessary and has cost so many lives and so many billions of dollars for no reason. So all of his lovey-dovey talk and peaceful talk never really amounted to much because he wasn't doing behind the scenes the real work of peace and really creating a partnership. Well, the UAE has done that for the last few years, and now they're saying it publicly. So that's why this is a different thing. That's why it's a different thing. And again, it's a positive thing because the Israeli people are taking it as a very positive thing. There's not a lot of issues in Israel that get a tremendous percentage either way in a poll. And this, the polls are showing us, and I believe these polls, the polls are showing us that 80% of the Israeli public is in favor of this deal, is happy with it. And uh, to me, that's, that's an important factor because one of those objections that we've heard is, of course, as part of the deal from what we're hearing, and I think we're not hearing the full story on this, but to give you the summary of what we're hearing is that we're hearing that Israel has agreed to put on pause 
its plans to officially annex those parts of the West Bank where the where, where Jewish settlements have, have been for a long time, where there's already a Jewish plurality or, or, or majority. And they've agreed to put that on hold. Now, the reason why I say I don't think we're getting the full story on that is I don't think every area that the Israeli government was marking for annexation has been completely put on hold. I think that these are potentially newer projects. But even if it does include every area in the West Bank, I can understand why not officially putting them under Israeli sovereignty and making them part of Israel proper is frustrating to those Jewish people who live there and to the supporters of the state of Israel and the entire uh, pro-Zionist world. I can see that that's frustrating. And I can see that some people would say, well, this is an example of the government of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu not you know, going, lying to us or, 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 t- or pulling back on a promise. And I think that that's just a little too harsh a statement to make. And I'll explain why. And it's not because I support Prime Minister Netanyahu. And I do, uh, not only because I think he's done a very good job, especially in the second round of his premiership, which is going on more than, you know, it's been more than 11 years. But because I just don't believe there's anybody else really fit to lead the state of Israel right now. Now, some of that is his fault. He hasn't done a great job of grooming a successor, and that can be a topic for another time. But I do believe he's the right person still to lead this country until someone else shows that they really have the uh, maturity and and wisdom to run the country properly. At, 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 even you know, again, even with the the weaknesses that the Prime Minister ben, Benjamin Netanyahu shows at times, and personal maybe failings. But I I do feel that we he needs to be given a pass a little bit, or at least some kind of dispensation here when it comes to his promises of annexation. You know, it reminds me of like when you have a teenage child, and I have, well, I have one and, and, a, and a second one who's about to become a teenager. Um, it's like when you have a teenage child and you promise them you're going to take them to the beach or to the amusement park, and then there's a terrible storm or, or the car breaks down, and you, you're, you're, you're saying you're sorry to your teenage kid and saying, I'm sorry, we can't, we can't go to the amusement park like we planned. It's, it's like a hurricane out there or the car broke down. And the kid looks at you red in the face and says, but you promised. But you promised. And I'm sorry, I, I get that feeling from people like Naftali Bennett and other people who are trying to turn this into some kind of disaster that the annexation has been maybe put on hold. And again, I don't know if the entire annexation plans have been put on hold. I think that there's been some wiggle room there. But let's say they are put on hold for some period of time. And... Yeah, it's factually true that Prime Minister Netanyahu promised them this annexation. But facts on the ground have changed. And I think that as a prime minister, one of the things you have to do is you have to make a choice when you have two options, both of which would, would I think, be good for Israel. I think annexation would be good for Israel because, as you've, as you've heard me say, and I've written many times, both for CNBC and for my, my own publications, and you've heard me say it here on, on Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I've said this many times. Uh, whenever the state of Israel proves that it's staying there and it's not going anywhere and the Jews are staying there and they're not going anywhere and the United States support for Israel is staying and not going anywhere, that usually fast tracks us to peace. So I, I believe annexation is a good thing for Israel and for the, and for the wider Middle East. And, so, and I think, but I also think that this peace deal with the United Arab Emirates, especially because it looks like it's going to lead to other peace deals. And of course, the big one out there would be an overt full peace agreement between Israel and Saudi Arabia, which would be the big, I mean, that's the big, that's the big fish to catch. And I think that we're closer to that t- today than we ever have been. I think that for the immediate moment right now, that's a bigger good. That's a bigger positive. 
So Prime Minister Netanyahu, as a leader, has to take a look at options. And in this case, it's two good options. But he couldn't have both at the same time. And what a leader does is he or she says, I know what I promised the Israeli people, but ultimately I have a bigger promise, which is their, to, to seek their best good and their best positive result at all times. That's what I really must do. So if that means negating or delaying a smaller promise, even if it's a, a pretty big one, but just relatively smaller promise, I have to put that one on hold. So I, I think Prime Minister Netanyahu has done the right thing here, and I think that making a huge stink about it is not appropriate for Jewish settlements and for people like Naftali Bennett. I think it's important for them to say, we're going to give you a pass on this one for now, but you they better not keep us on hold forever. You're going to have to... You're going to have to update us on a regular basis about when we're getting back to this annexation thing, how long the pause is, what the UAE is really giving us in return for that. All of that would be fine. But the whole, you know, we've heard some statements from Bennett, you know, that basically he's showing no confidence in Netanyahu at all. And he's really kind of throwing a tantrum right now. And I don't think it's appropriate. I do think that annexation is a positive thing. I, I, I don't think that his cause is wrong. But what Bennett is, is proving, again, what I just said just a few moments ago, that he... And those like him are not really ready to be the leaders of the state of Israel because leaders, true leaders, great presidents, great prime ministers, and in the old days, great kings and queens. But a, a, a Netanyahu is showing that he is a true leader of Israel because he's willing to sacrifice some support from a, from a core group of supporters for the greater good of Israel, which is what he's doing right now. And that's what a real leader does. And I, I don't think Naftali Bennett is is ready to be a real leader of Israel. I like him. I, if there was anyone who was going to succeed Netanyahu one day right now from the cast of characters in the government, he would be one of my top three. I mean, he would be there. I like him a lot. But he's got to act more like a prime minister and less like the leader of a faction. Leaders of factions are different than prime ministers. And by the way, Benjamin Netanyahu learned that the hard way. When Ariel Sharon created the new Kadima party when he was still prime minister and, and left Likud. The, the, the party that he created, by the way, Ariel Sharon was the creator of that. I know a lot of us know that Menachem Begin was the first Likud prime minister, but the party was created by Ariel Sharon, folks. And Sharon was willing to walk away from that party to create this unity government type situation with Kadima, and he offered Netanyahu to be the vice premier, to be in the cabinet and to be the one to succeed him in the case of any kind of issue. And of course, that's exactly what happened. Ariel Sharon had a stroke, but because Benjamin Netanyahu chose to be the leader of a faction instead and stuck with Likud, he didn't get to be prime minister and Ehud Olmert did, and that was almost disastrous for the state of Israel. And I happen to think the way that Netanyahu was so expedient in the way he's been, I think that he would have been prime minister all this time. In other words, from the day that Ariel Sharon got, had, had his his stroke, which is really a fatal incident, although he wasn't officially pronounced dead until years later. I think that, our, I think that Benjamin Netanyahu would have been prime minister all this time, believe it or not, because, because of the way that he's learned how to stay in office once he gets there this time. So being a leader of a faction is different from being a prime minister, and this is not to negate the concerns and the issues that Naftali Bennett is representing. Now, remember, I'm making, I'm making a strong distinction here. I, I don't think that Naftali Bennett's issues and what he's trying to, to get for, the, for, for those areas of annexation are wrong. I think that those are very good and important issues for Israel and for the wider Middle East. I really do. It's just that when you're a true leader, you understand 
You can't get everything that you want right away. You're going to have to wait sometimes. And when a greater good comes and a greater expedient good comes, you've got to take that for now. And that's what Netanyahu is doing with this UAE peace deal, because not only does it include the United Arab Emirates, but it also includes, you know, it looks like Bahrain and it looks like um, other countries might get involved with this as well. And that's really important. So this is a big deal. Now, another thing I want to say about the United, this deal is that, look, folks, United Arab Emirates is a very important client state of Saudi Arabia. And I know there's been some reporting that Saudi Arabia didn't know about it or didn't completely sign off on it. I think that's ridiculous. There's no way this happens without the Saudis. Okay, and I think I'm, I'm going to go further than that here on this program and tell you that I believe that United Arab Emirates is acting like the toe in the water for Saudi Arabia. I think Saudi Arabia wants to do this kind of a deal with Israel or at least is thinking about it really strongly. And they want to see how this goes with UAE first. And so they gave them the green light to go ahead and do this. Now, there may be changes along the way. And this peace deal may not turn out to be so great either. But I do think it's the right thing to do now for a lot of different reasons. And if this somehow speeds up or creates a bridge for the Saudi Arabia to make the same kind of a deal with Israel officially, to solidify and make official the growing partnership between the two countries, which I believe started in 2014. It may have been even a year earlier. But in 2014, when the path started to speed up towards the Iran nuclear deal, Saudi Arabia and Israel started to really increase their connection. And it started with that, and it got bigger. Now, I am not a prophet, and I'm not attempting to play one on the radio. I am not a prophet. But it did, it did work out very nicely that the day before... The Saudi, uh, sorry, the day before the United Arab Emirates, the UAE Israeli deal was announced, I had published on my LinkedIn page. And again, everything that you want to read from me or follow from me is first found on Twitter. So you don't have to follow me on a hundred different social media platforms. It's just Twitter, and my Twitter handle is at JakeJakeNY. Easiest place to find all the things I'm working on, at JakeJakeNY. So the day before this UAE Israel peace agreement is, 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 is announced, I published, uh, an editorial about how peace was at hand at the Middle East. And I was really talking about Saudi Arabia and Israel and how their partnership had grown from just a partnership based on stopping Iran, trying to stop the Iran deal, trying to stop Iran from getting stronger militarily, to more economic partnerships, to partnerships that may even include some cultural exchanges, things like that. And sure enough, the next day, Saudi Arabia's number one client state announces their agreement, their peace agreement with Israel. So again, I'm not a prophet, but what I am looking at are all the signs. You know, if you have a good outlook about things, and by that I mean a more neutral outlook or even sometimes an optimistic outlook, but not a Pollyannish outlook, you'll be able to see signs in the news a lot better than other people. Somebody once asked me, forget about being a prophet, said, oh, how do you read minds? And it's not, it's like, I don't read minds. Nobody can. By the way, that's the least good thing we are. That's the least thing, that, that is one of the least uh, things that you can say, most uncommon things you can say about any human being. Humans don't read other people's minds very well, even when we're really smart. It's not, it's not a skill that a lot of people have. It's extremely rare. And even for people who are able to do it every once in a while and guess what someone is thinking, it's not something that you can ever rely on, even if you've been right a couple of times. So I don't read minds. I'm not a prophet. It's just a question of if you look at the news and, and look at as much news as you possibly can and hear it from people who really know what they're talking about, you will be able to predict the future a lot better 
than those who are, for example. I mean, you, you, have, you have a large amount of the country which is obsessed and frightened and, and, and in a mania about Donald Trump. And for those people, I feel very sorry for them because they are kind of blinding themselves willingly. Now, that doesn't mean that the way to get themselves unblind is to start loving President Trump. That isn't going to do it either. It's just asking yourself, this is what happened today. Is it good or bad? As opposed to, did Trump do it? It's, uh, then it's good or bad. I mean, that's not how you do, do things. You need to look at different issues going on and judge them separately. And a lot of people who have tremendous biases can't do that. So we're seeing that. And so all I was doing was looking at all those signs. And if I had a crazy bias against Saudi Arabians, and I don't like what their government did with their Wahhabist Islam, and I don't like all the history of it, but I also know that things can change. I also know things can change. I also know something else, and that's another thing I want to talk about. And and you've seen this book on my Twitter feed. If you follow my Twitter feed, and I will post it again. I will post a link to the book so you can buy it as well. Because this is another book that's helped me open my eyes to more events and see how things can change so that it does look like I can predict the future. And it does look like I'm a prophet, even though no one can really do those things with any regularity. But it can look like it can look like that. And the reason why I know things can change in the Arab world, even from our greatest enemies, is because they've changed before. And there's a wonderful book that I can't recommend enough. It's really short, by the way. It's, usually I recommend really long books. This book is about 150 pages or so. And it's called Jihad and Jew Hatred. And it's by Matthias Kunzel, who is a German scholar. Amazing story, by the way. His parents were Nazis. His father was a, you know, a soldier in the, in, in the Wehrmacht. His grandparents were very supportive of the Nazi regime, and he was one of many people who were born, thank God, in Germany uh, you know, during the war who, as they grew up, really tried to come to terms with what their parents had done and took a very positive outlook to Jews and to the state of Israel and really tried to – I can't say – tried to make up for it. That would be unfair to say, and I don't think they were trying to make up for it, but I think they were trying to find out what caused this and see if they could stop it from happening again, things like that. And he became an expert on Arab culture and Arab history. And one of the things he writes in the book, which is just so astounding, is he's done he, – he compiled a lot of history of Egypt, of the nation of Egypt from the late 19th century going all the way up to 1933, all the way up to the beginning of the Nazi regime in Germany. And he shows pretty meticulously how there was a tremendous amount of support in the Egyptian government and in the Egyptian elite community – for Zionism. I know you can't believe it. You probably just can't believe those words I just said. I, I, I hope you read the book and you can see where I'm getting my proofs from. I've seen it in other places too, but this book puts it all together. And the reasons why, the, but the reason why the, there was support for Zionism in Egypt going all the way until the early, early 30s is because they believed that there was, they really, the number one issue in Egypt and countries like it all over the world were, how can we push back against British and French colonialism? How can we become more independent in whatever part of the world, in this case, the Middle East? How can we do that? And they felt that economically they needed to get stronger and they needed more partners and they needed to develop their, their land and their resources better. And the Egyptian elites and the Egyptian members of the government felt that having the Jews with the Jewish state next to them would do that. And it wasn't until Germany started to interfere with all of that in 1933 that all of that fell apart. And I think it's important because that is very much more uh, like what we're seeing right now with the UAE and Israel. 
there is the United Arab Emirates is as of all those Arab countries, they are the country with the most f- fintech, as we say, financial technology. They're the country that does trading. They're the country that does, that has some more exotic economic has a more exotic imp- economic infrastructure. They know that the Israelis are a very potentially strong partner for them to expand their economic horizons. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't 36 hours after, the, maybe even earlier, it was probably about 24 hours after the agreement was, was announced that I got my first request on LinkedIn for a connection and I, uh, from someone from the UAE. And sure enough, he works in the financial industry. He's a broker in the United Arab Emirates. He sought me out somehow and decided he wanted to make a connection on LinkedIn. And, of course, I accepted it. Now, to me, this is important because if you look at the history of the Middle East, that's where the strongest Jewish-Arab connections are made on an economic platform. You know, I was in grade school. I was in third grade when they signed the peace treaty between Israel and Egypt. And as much as that treaty I still think was successful in that it stopped the wars between Israel and Egypt, I think we all agree that it was a cold peace at best. It was just not really providing any true partnerships, and it didn't really go anywhere. It just kind of stayed in, 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 in suspended animation for all those years. And I think the biggest reason for that was not just the rise of Islamism throughout the region, which made it harder for Egypt to get closer to Israel, but I think it was also because there wasn't any strong economic partnership between the two of them. And now that Saudi Arabia has become basically the complete bankroller of the Egyptian government, you know, it's hard for us who grew up at a time when Egypt was the most dominant Arab country to see that end. But now Egypt is really not the most dominant Arab country. Saudi Arabia is the most dominant Sunni country, and Iran is the most dominant Shia country, and that's it. Egypt's been kind of nosed out of this whole deal. So Egypt is very reliant on Saudi Arabia. So I do believe that there's more economic cooperation to come between Egypt and Israel, but it hasn't been there for all this time since the signing of the peace treaty, which is why I think it didn't go anywhere. But when economic partnerships are made between Jews and Arabs, that's where we can get some kind of real partnership. It's not kumbaya stuff. It's not hug each other stuff. But when you have economic stake in the game and it's already there, not just the potential for it, but it's already there, that's where I believe the influence of Islamism, which is really, when it comes to the Jews, the same as Nazism. And that's another thing this book, Jihad and Jew Hatred by Matthias by Kunzel, really explains. Islam and Islamism are two different things. And there are a lot of issues with Islam and Jews. Do not, I'm not saying that Jews have full status in Islam. It's not true. But Islamism is a genocidal outlook on Jews. And that, thankfully, is not part of the Islamic tradition for the most part. Islamism is different. It has taken on that Naziistic outlook on all on Jews and blames everything on Jews. Without anti-Semitism, without anti-Jewish sentiment and anti-Jewish teachings, radical Islam doesn't exist. It's the fuel for radical Islam. And for years, people like me have been thinking, well, you know, gee, Israel's so successful economically and the United States is so successful economically. Don't these... Islamic countries that hate Israel understand that they would just take a break with this terrorism, that they would have an economic success. And the reason why that wasn't working is because they have a Nazi outlook. They look at us as a genocidal target. So making money isn't going to interest them. So when you see countries that are making deals with Israel for economic reasons, you see that at least there's a chance of them shaking off that Islamist philosophy. They're saying, yeah, let's Let's get into some economic partnerships here. Let's move away, if you're an Arab country, from just oil. Maybe we can do some other things around here. 
So to me, that's another reason why I'm optimistic about it without being silly. I, I know that this is the beginning of something and there's a long way to go and it could turn out to not work out. But this has been a very good week for Israel and this has been a very good week for the Middle East and the world because a real partnership is starting to, to, to really form right now. So let's think about that and let's try to be positive. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.